Chapter Seven of the Rome Express. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rome Express by Arthur Griffiths. Chapter Seven. When the judge had brought down the interrogation of the countess to the production of the small glass bottle, he paused and was long drawn. Ah of satisfaction looked round at his colleagues both monsieur flacon and the commissary nodded their heads approvingly plainly sharing his triumph then they all put their heads together in close whispered conference admiral monsieur le juge said the detective you have been most adroit it is a clear case no doubt said the commissary who was a blunt rather coarse person believing that to take anybody and everybody into custody is always the safest and simplest course it looks black against her i think she ought to be arrested at once we might indeed we ought to have more evidence more definite evidence perhaps the judge was musing over the facts as he knew them i should like before going further to look at the car he said suddenly coming to a conclusion monsieur flocon readily agreed we will go together he said adding madame will remain here please until we return it may not be for long and afterwards asked the countess whose nervousness had if anything increased during the whispered colloquy of the officials ah afterwards who knows was the reply with a shrug of the shoulders almost enigmatic and unsatisfactory what have we against her said the judge as soon as they had gained the absolute privacy of the sleeping car the bottle of laudanum and the porter's condition he was undoubtedly drugged answered the detective and the discussion which followed took the form of a dialogue between them for the commissary took no part in it yes but why by the countess how do we know that positively it is her bottle said monsieur flocon her story may be true that she missed it that the maid took it we have nothing whatever against the maid we know nothing about her no except that she has disappeared but that tells more against her mistress it is all very vague i do not see my way quite as yet but the fragment of lace the broken beading surely monsieur le juge they are a woman's and only one woman was in the car so far as we know but if these could be proved to be hers ah if you could prove that easy enough have her searched here at once in the station there is a female searcher attached to the detention room it is a strong measure she is a lady ladies who commit crimes must not expect to be handled with kid gloves she is an englishwoman or with english connections titled too i hesitate upon my word suppose we are wrong it may lead to unpleasantness monsieur le prefet is anxious to avoid complications possibly international as he spoke he bent over and taking a magnifier from his pocket examined the lace which still fluttered where it was caught it is fine lace i think what say you monsieur flocon you may be more experienced in such matters the finest or nearly so i believe it is valenciennes the trimming of some underclothing i should think that surely is sufficient monsieur le juge monsieur beaumont le hardy gave a reluctant consent and the chief went back himself to see that the searching was undertaken without loss of time the countess protested but vainly against this new indignity what could she do a prisoner practically friendless 
for the general was not within reach to resist was out of the question indeed she was plainly told that force would be employed unless she submitted with a good grace there was nothing for it but to obey mother tontaine as the female searcher called herself was an evil-visaged corpulent old creature with a sickly soft insinuating voice and a greasy familiar manner that was most offensive they had given her the scrap of torn lace and the debris of the jet as a guide and with very particular directions to see if they corresponded with any part of the lady's apparel she soon showed her quality ah oh what is this my pretty princess how comes so great a lady into the hands of mother tontaine but i will not harm you my beauty my pretty my little one oh no no i will not trouble you dearie no trust to me and she held out one skinny claw and looked the other way the countess did not or would not understand madame has money went on the old hag in a half threatening half coaxing whisper as she came up quite close and fastened on her victim like a bird of prey if you mean that i am to bribe you fie the nasty word but just a small present a pretty gift one or two yellow bits twenty thirty forty francs you'd better she shook the soft arm she held roughly and anything seemed preferable than to be touched by this horrible woman wait wait cried the countess shivering all over and feeling hastily for her purse she took out several napoleons ah oh one two three said the searcher in a fat wheedling voice four yes four five and she clinked the coins together in her palm while a covetous light came into her faded eyes at the joyous sound five make it five at once do you hear me or i'll call them in and tell them that will go against you my princess what try to buy a poor old woman mother tontaine honest and incorruptible tontaine five then five with trembling haste the countess emptied the whole contents of her purse in the old hag's hand bon aubain nice pickings it is a misery what they pay me here i am oh so poor and i have children many babies you will not tell them the police you dare not no 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 thus muttering to herself she shambled across the room to a corner where she stowed the money safely away then she came back showed the bit of lace and pressed it into the countess's hands do you know this little one where it comes from where there is much more i was told to look for it to search for it on you and with a quick gesture she lifted the edge of the countess's skirt dropping it next moment with a low chuckling laugh oh ah you were right my pretty to pay me my pretty right and some day to-day to-morrow whenever i ask you you will remember mother tontaine the countess listened with dismay what had she done put herself into the power of this greedy and unscrupulous old beldame and this my princess what have we here aha uh -huh. mere tontaine held up next the broken bit of jet ornament for inspection and as the countess leaned forward to examine it more closely gave it into her hand you recognize it of course but be careful my pretty beware if any one were looking it would ruin you i could not save you then Shh, say nothing only look and quick give it me back i must have it to show all this time the countess was turning the jet over and over in her open palm with a perplexed disturbed 
but hardly a terrified air. Yes, she knew it, or thought she knew it. It had been... But how had it come here, into the possession of this base myridum of the French police? Give it me, quick! There was a loud knock at the door. They are coming. Remember. Mother Tontaine put her long finger to her lip. Not a word. I have found nothing, of course. Nothing. I can swear to that. And you will not forget, Mother Tontaine. Now Monsieur Flocon stood at the open door awaiting the searcher's report. He looked much disconcerted when the old woman took him to one side and briefly explained that the search had been altogether fruitless. There was nothing to justify suspicion, nothing so far as she could find. The detective looked from one to the other, from the hag he had employed in this unpleasant quest to the lady on whom it had been tried. The countess, to his surprise, did not complain. He had expected further and strong upbraidings. Strange to say, she took it very quietly. There was no indignation in her face. She was still pale, and her hands trembled, but she said nothing, made no reference, at least, to what she had just gone through. Again he took counsel with his colleague, while the countess was kept apart. "'What next, Monsieur Flocon?' asked the judge. "'What shall we do with her?' "'Let her go,' answered the detective briefly. "'What? Do you suggest this, sir?' said the judge, slyly. "'After your strong and well-grounded suspicions?' "'They are as strong as ever, stronger, and I feel sure I shall yet justify them. But what I wish now is to let her go at large, under surveillance. Ah, you would shadow her?' "'Precisely. By a good agent. Gallipore, for instance. He speaks English, and he can, if necessary, follow her anywhere, even to England.' She can be extradited, said the commissary, with his one prominent idea of arrest. Do you agree, Monsieur le Juge? Then, if you will permit me, I will give the necessary orders, and perhaps you will inform the lady that she is free to leave the station. The Countess now had reason to change her opinion of the French officials. Great politeness now replaced the first severity that had been so cruel. She was told, with many bows and apologies, that her regretted but unavoidable detention was at an end. Not only was she freely allowed to depart, but she was escorted by both Monsieur Flosson and the commissary outside to where an omnibus was in waiting, and all her baggage piled on top, even to the dressing-bag, which had been neatly repacked for her. But the little silver-topped vial had not been restored to her, nor the handkerchief. In her joy at her deliverance, either she had not given these a second thought, for she did not wish to appear anxious to recover them. Nor did she notice that, as the bus passed through the gates at the bottom of the large slope that leads from the Lyon station, it was followed at a discreet distance by a modest fiacre, which pulled up, eventually, outside the Hotel Madagascar. Its occupant, Monsieur Gallipot, kept the Countess in sight, and, entering the hotel at her heels, waited till she had left the office, when he held a long conference with the proprietor. End of chapter 7